to Inner Warm Up, where your inner work begins. I'm Taylor Lee Morrison, creator and author of Inner Workout, and you, as always, are our expert guest. Thanks for being here today. I finished writing the first draft of the Inner Workout book at the end of 2021, and I have learned so much about myself since then. One of the biggest things is that I got diagnosed with ADHD. I'm neurodivergent. I'm neurospicy, as some folks like to call it. And while I talk about my experience with anxiety and being highly sensitive in the book, ADHD doesn't show up because I didn't know that was part of my experience. And while I wish I could go back and weave that into the book, I found out too late. But it's still a conversation that I want to have. I'm really curious. And as you'll hear in this conversation, I'm learning more every day about the relationship between my neurodivergence and how I approach self-care and how I experience burnout as well. So today on Inner Warm Up, we have a conversation with Jodi Yorg. She is such a multifaceted human who also happens to be neurodiverse herself. She started her career in education, working with kids who experience learning disabilities. She's a coach. She is a pre-licensed therapist, and she just has a wealth of knowledge about ADHD, about neurodivergence, and really approaches the conversation with so much intention and intersectionality. I know that y'all are going to love it. So let me stop talking here and just let you listen to the conversation with Jody. Want to know how growth starts? With asking yourself the right questions. Our free take care assessment asks you 75 questions that get to the root of what you need most right now. After completing the assessment, you'll get a PDF profile with practices based on your results. Head to the link in our show notes to take care today. Welcome to the show, Jody. I am so thrilled to have you. Thanks so much, Taylor. I'm excited to be here. So folks just heard a little bit about you in the intro, but it's always nice when it's coming from the person themselves. So can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do in the world? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a neurodivergent person myself. I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 38. And in true neurodivergent form, I kind of think about my work as separated into three kind of related buckets. So I am a pre-licensed therapist in the mental health field. So a big body of my work is working with individuals um, in a mental health capacity, helping them kind of process through trauma. So I'm a trauma therapist. And then a second body of my work is as an ADHD coach. And I work with folks primarily in a business setting to help them understand their ADHD and how to thrive with that diagnosis in their business setting. And then the third body of work is I am a consultant and I work with businesses to help them understand what's going on in their business and how they can accelerate and grow their business. You explained those different pieces of your world so well. Thank you. And it's funny that you say like, oh, in true neurodivergent fashion, because I feel the same way about my work and I'm often having to explain it in buckets. And 
as I'm sure we'll continue, I'll continue to have revelations throughout our conversation, but I'm like, oh, that's probably a neurodivergent thing. That's probably my ADHD popping out a little bit. Yeah. For a long time, I felt kind of bad about that. And then I feel like the last, I'm 42 now. I feel like the last four years of my life has really been understanding the things that really make me happy and kind of setting up my life very mindfully to exist in that way. And having a career that works this way is one of those things. I love that. And this might be an obvious question, but okay, you mentioned you got diagnosed with ADHD. ADHD is one of the focuses of your coaching practice. Why did you come to that decision? to make that an area of focus? Yeah, it was kind of on accident. (laughs) Um, So I decided to be an executive coach because that was a thing I really loved when I was an executive. So in my kind of former life, I, gosh, I've done it in true ADHD fashion, did a million and one things in my career. I started as an educator, then I switched to technology, did that for a bunch of years kind of moved my way up the corporate ladder and ended up in a pretty high executive role. And I really just loved mentoring and coaching. And so when I decided I I didn't want to be in the typical track anymore, I decided to do some executive coaching. And I ended up just finding a lot of folks who were neurodivergent. And because I had a background in that, I actually, in education, worked with folks on the spectrum and ADHD. I have a master's in education as well. I found that I was doing a lot of coaching and that really resonated with these folks. And so I started dipping my toes in the water with my LinkedIn posting on here's what ADHD looks like and here are some of the struggles that people have. And then I had people reach out saying, hey, you do this? I think that might be me. Then I started really purposefully posting about those things and more people came out of the woodwork. And what I found is there wasn't a single person who reached out that when I explained what I do and how I do it, didn't respond with, oh my God, you're describing my life and I didn't know there was somebody like you and I need it. And so it just kind of became this niche thing that I get real joy out of doing and people really get a lot of benefit out of. So it was totally on accident, but I love it. I feel like that's how the best things often happen. I feel that way about the work that I do in my coaching practice with a lot of people who are bootstrapped business owners or lifestyle business owners. And that wasn't something I planned. It was just like, oh, these people keep coming to me and feel seen in what I talk about. So Yay for happy accidents. And <laughs> yeah, I I feel like I must have seen something that you posted. We're both based around the Chicago area. We haven't met in person yet. And I feel like I had to have seen something you posted about ADHD, which is why we're getting to record this episode today. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are recording this. We're like, it's January 31st as we're recording this. And we're in that point of the year. I don't know if you've seen any of the the memes where people say like, January was the trial run. It was the free trial of 2023. Now we're really into the year as we head into February. And I'm curious for you as someone who works with folks who are neurodivergent, 
especially folks who have ADHD. Do you have any observations about how they experience this part of the year, like these beginnings of the year? Yeah. So earlier this month, a lot of my clients were talking about just kind of holiday burnout. And now they're talking about, I'm still feeling burned out, but I'm needing to transition into execution mode. And what does that look like? And I feel like I'm caught behind the eight ball and I am in this place where I'm trying to do, I'm actually what it is, is I'm getting pulled in that draw of the whole new system, right? Like we folks with ADHD love the new and shiny system. I can't tell you how many notebooks I have started and abandoned and planners I've started and abandoned. And my clients with ADHD who were feeling really burned out are really drawn to that that new shiny system in the hopes that that's going to resolve all of that holiday burnout. That's relatable. Yeah, totally. So we're spending a lot of time talking about How do we recharge from that holiday burnout? And how do we really build on what we know works? And how do we execute successfully? And so you're talking about burnout and this holiday burnout, I definitely can relate, especially as a business owner, but I would imagine this is true for so many people. You're trying to wrap up the end of the year. You have more like social, familial obligations. And then you're also trying to get prepared for the year that's that's to come. And this whole season is about burnout. And I wonder what the ADHD experience of burnout looks like compared to someone who's neurotypical. Uh, yeah. So one of the things that I, I think is striking, in my opinion, about ADHD burnout is how much much of it is sensory. So I was just talking with a client who was very recently diagnosed with, and this is a, a assigned female at birth person, still femme presenting, who was recently diagnosed, who was just talking about this. And it was revelatory to her that burnout was this physical sensation. And that it was so overwhelming sensorially that it is, there's too much noise in my head. My body feels like it is both heavy and like it's about to explode at the same time, that it means that I'm feeling anxious, but that anxiety is not showing up as worry. It's showing up as irritation and I can't even sleep at the same time. And so that is a really common presentation that I hear from my folks who are neurodiverse. Burnout for my neurotypical clients seems to be much more of, I'm really worn down. I definitely need to recharge maybe with my, cl- with my family. I might need to do some of the things that really just recharge my spirit. And so we'll talk about those things, but with my ADHD clients, it's really the whole self, right? I might need to go to a dark room. What are the things that I'm doing that are going to emotionally regulate me, physically regulate me? What are the things that I'm going to do that are going to do that on a long-term basis and continue to keep that regulation moving forward? And a lot of times we've never learned those skills. 
period. Yeah, there's so much about caring for yourself that we weren't taught. I I think about this all of the time, like how we're not taught how to be in supportive conversation with ourselves, how we're not taught to read our body's cues. And I mean, this could go into a whole other conversation, I'm sure, for you as someone who started their career as an educator. But I think a lot about how we could restructure curriculum to give people the skills that, not that it's bad to learn about the things that we learn about in school, but there's a a lot of room for us to learn how to be in better relationship with ourselves. And that goes whether you're neurotypical or neurodiverse. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I also think that that one of the things that's challenging, that's really, I think, intersectional about ADHD is the demands that are placed on female presenting people and people who are assigned female at birth. So when we're thinking about holiday burnout, for example, a lot of those demands are placed on female presenting people, right? The cooking, the cleaning, the buying of the gifts, the family dinners, that sort of thing. You exit that period of time, oftentimes if you're a female presenting person, really, 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 really drained. Um, And then my female presenting clients are thrown into the start of the year and executing in their careers and they're at an all-time low. What we know about the neurodiverse brain is that it's also really linked to hormonal changes in the body. And so that's something that's only recently starting to be researched. It's not explained very often to folks when they're diagnosed at all. Like that is not something that was explained to me. I'm only recently starting to learn about it as somebody who specializes in this field. And so when you're kind of right about to start your period, you actually have lower executive functioning than kind of resources than you do at the right when you ovulate. And that is problematic, right? If you don't know about it. And so your burnout can feel even heightened at those periods and times. Which is something that I have been experiencing personally. So in addition to my recent ADHD diagnosis, I also recently got diagnosed with PMDD and it can be really derailing at certain parts of the month where already like right now I'm, we're recording this. I just finished my menstrual part of my menstrual cycle. So I just finished my period. I'm in a place where my focus is better, but I'm still having to do the work to just be able to maintain my focus that I have to do on a day-to-day basis as someone who has ADHD. But when I'm in like my luteal phase, I just like, it is so hard for me to focus. And then also there's the relational aspect of it too. Something that really made me feel seen in my ADHD diagnosis was the rejection sensitivity and realizing, oh, that is one of the major ways that my ADHD presents is this rejection sensitivity, which I'm sure folks are listening to this and may not know what that means. So I'll defer to you, Jody. Would you be willing to give people like a quick primer on what rejection sensitivity is? We all have 24 hours in the day, but depending on your schedule, your responsibilities, and your finances, it doesn't always feel like that. 
We built the Inner Workout app to help you practice self-care with the time you have. It's filled with journaling practices, meditations, and mini courses called Journeys that you can complete in 10 minutes or less. But that's not all. Find more time for self-care with lock sessions, which go beyond notification blocking and allow you to lock yourself out of apps that steal your time and attention. Visit innerworkout.co slash app or click the link in the show notes to add the Inner Workout app to your support system. Yeah, this is the piece that when we talk about it in session, my clients, their heads just start nodding vigorously. And it's how I work with my clients differently and why I work with them differently. But I'm going to start with the end of it, which is dysphoria. So dysphoria basically means that you can't see things for what they are. So if you have uh, body dysphoria, you may actually look in the mirror and see your body is much larger than it is, for example. And as a result, starve yourself like that. If you have body dysphoria and you're anorexic, that's the, the cause of that. So rejection sensitivity dysphoria means that you are unable to accurately see, assess, and feel rejection. People that have rejection sensitivity dysphoria often describe feeling rejection as if they were punched in the chest. It's a physical sensation. And why this is correlated to folks with ADHD is because so often in childhood, you're doing things, quote, wrong. You're acting impulsively. Maybe you're talking out of turn um, and you're getting in trouble in class. Or for those of us who were undiagnosed when we were young girls, in as we age, we're not quite picking up on the social cues of our female peers because our attention is wandering. Perhaps we are interrupting. And as a result, we are often ostracized by our female peers and we tend to be rejected more often than not. Very often, if you look at the literature, male presenting people tend to externalize that rejection sensitivity. So you start to see things like irritability, anger, whereas in female presenting populations, it's internalized. You see perfectionism and negative self-talk. And so this is something that is hugely present within the ADHD population. Oh, I just am sitting over here nodding my head. That piece about rejection feeling physical, like it's it's hard to explain to people who don't experience it. And I actually just had something earlier today where I got a rejection in my email right before I had another meeting with my assistant. Hi, Jenny, as you're listening to this. And I was thrown off because I was like, hey, this thing just happened. And I know logically, like it's fine, but my body is, I need a moment for my body to catch up to my I don't even know what part of my brain I would necessarily call that, but the part that's able to logic and reason and see, okay, this is not an indictment on me as a person. They're not saying Taylor is the worst ever, but the feeling in my stomach is exactly like you said. I felt like I got punched in the stomach. Yeah. So in my work with clients, it all starts with assessments. Like I, I won't begin coaching without a battery of assessments. And one of the things that I look at is emotional regulation. There's some interesting research that's starting to come out that start is looking at the comorbidities of ADHD. 
for a really, really, really long time, what they thought was that ADHD was, quote, just comorbid with things like depression and anxiety. And that totally makes sense, right? Like, if you are constantly behind, yeah, it makes you anxious. Like, I know it makes me anxious. When my physical space gets cluttered, I feel anxiety in my body, like a physical sensation. It's awful. What they're starting to recently find out, though, is that emotional regulation is actually not just comorbid or anxiety and depression. It also is a byproduct of executive functioning. And they think rejection sensitivity is the link. And so I look at things like, how do you emotionally regulate? What are the cognitive tools that you do? And so things like meditation and mindfulness and anxiety are things that I look at with my clients. Because if you want to get a handle on your ADHD and really use it as a strength where you can scaffold around the weakness, looking at rejection sensitivity, looking at the ways that you emotionally regulate when you encounter it is key. You just have to. Yeah, this is such a good reminder. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting so much out of this conversation and I'm I'm glad that other people are listening. But if nothing else, these are things that I need to continuously be reminded. And it's fun too, because in some ways my therapist reminds me of these things, but it's great to hear them from other people and in different words as well. That always helps it hit home. So if the name of the game for everyone is we don't want to be burned out, like that's why I started this company and this work is because I was tired of being burned out myself. What can people with ADHD do, and you've already started alluding to this, but what can they do to avoid burnout? Let's start there. Yeah. I always think about burnout for folks with ADHD as like totally tied to executive functioning, right? It's like we have so many dollars to spend. One of the things that actually I had a client this week say is, hey, how can we just make my executive functioning quote get better? And I think that that's the wrong lens. Our neurotype is our neurotype. And I think data is showing that over time, I wouldn't be surprised if if neurodiverse becomes closer to 50% of the population than not, right? And so if our executive functioning is the limiting resource, well, then the work becomes, well, how do we make the best and most efficient use of that resource? So we were just talking about emotional regulation. If we're emotionally dysregulated cognitively, that's super expensive, right? So let me put this back on you, Taylor. When you had that sense of like, oh, I just got kicked in the stomach. How long did it take you to process that? I feel... <laughs> and, how much of, and how much of your mind was on that? Oh my gosh. I mean, I feel like honestly, I'm still processing it because it, it literally, I saw that email like two minutes before I had to hop onto the call. So because I had that relationship with my assistant, I could just say like, hey, I'm a little off right now because I'm still processing this thing. And then I honestly feel like I need to probably after this, like sit down, journal for a little bit, do some breathing or something because I'm still feeling it in my body. So yeah. And my mind now, my mind isn't on it as much. It's more like I need to to work through the the sensations in my body that are still feeling a little tight and prickly. But in like shortly after it happened, it was like 
all I could think about. And I knew I was in this other meeting, but I was still thinking about that email. Right. So that's expensive, right? That's like a, most of your engine was going there. And I, sh- I say that not in a judgment way, but to say the work then becomes, how can we help you process through that much faster? How can we help you get through that physical sensation that you're still carrying much faster so that you can then move on to a task that you cognitively want to spend more of that resource on? And so really, that is what I think about is to avoid burnout. It's to really evaluate so much of your life. I, for one, was somebody who the way I managed my ADHD before I knew that I had it was I just constantly lived in a state of urgency because without knowing it, that's how I could get things done. I lived on one end of a dysregulated spectrum at all time. I was either constantly busy and constantly getting things done because the only way I knew how to do it was in a state of urgency or I didn't have enough work and I was dropping balls left and right. That was really expensive for me and I was constantly burned out, right? And so now I'm able to structure my life in such a way that I think about things like, when do I go to bed? Who are the people that I spend my time with? I do have a meditation practice. I pay attention to things like my caffeine intake. All of those things go into preserving my executive functioning for where I want it to go so that I'm not having to live in kind of a polarizing, deregulated system. Mm, That makes perfect sense. And I love this idea of like, it's almost reminding me of the person's name is escaping me now, but spoon theory and the idea for Mm -hmm. people with chronic illness and how they only have so much energy. And I talk about that a little bit in my book as well, but this is almost like cognitive spoon theory and supporting myself in that way. I, I love that. That gives me such a clear visual of like, okay, I've only got so much to give. How can I support myself with what I have? What's interesting, and I was sharing this with my client, is it actually does end up feeling like, oh, I have so much more executive functioning. I've gotten so much better at this. But I don't actually know that that's so. I think that you become more efficient at the resource. And then it feels like it's you've gotten better at it. But the reality is when I reflect on my life four years ago to the now, it's just a really different life. And it sounds like a really different life in a good way for you. Like in you, a phenomenal way. Yeah. <laughs> I got really busy over the fall and it was too busy. And I was talking with my therapist and we, I was like, I am just constantly at like an eight or nine anxiety because of how busy I am. And she was like, Jody, when this is how busy you are when we first started working together, like you were always this busy. Isn't it wonderful that like, this is not your life anymore. Now, how can we get you not that busy again? Because now you know you don't like that. Mm, And in that example, first of all, I love that for you. I'm so excited that your baseline of busy has lowered. I also love that you've built this relationship with your therapist. And this is just something I, I advocate for everyone, having a relationship with a therapist, with a coach, even with a trusted friend who can reflect 
your growth and progress back to you and can also see some of those patterns. I have this happen, yes, with my my coach and my therapist, but also with my husband who will just remind me that, hey, this is a different response that than what you've had in the past. Or, oh, we've been here before. Here's how you responded to it last time. Is that how you want to respond to it again? It's just really beautiful to have those journey mates with you. Yeah, I I don't know what I would do without my therapist. <laughs> She's great. <laughs> Yay for therapists. <laughs> yes, I agree. That's that is one third of my professional life. So I'm definitely pro therapist. Yeah. So that that was a little bit about what we can do to avoid burnout and in my dream world, the world that I am working towards and have to believe to some extent is possible is that there could be a world without burnout. It would take a lot of structural change. It would take a lot of, man, just change at every level of society in order for that to happen. So in the meantime, while we're doing all of that good work, burnout is going to happen. Like That's why the season of the podcast exists because I got burned out and I have so many tools and people in my support system and resources. And I still found myself at that point again. So I'm wondering once people are there, unfortunately, they've reached the point of burnout, especially neurodiverse folks, folks with ADHD, what would you suggest that they do to address it once they're in that point already? They're already burned out. So this is really a danger zone for folks with neurodiversity and ADHD in particular, because often our instincts are, are working against us. So the ADHD brain is wired on novelty and urgency, right? That's what we love. And our instincts sometime, and then we do everything we can to avoid the thing that we dread. So for example, it takes the ADHD person 15 minutes on average longer to fall asleep than the neurotypical peer. Um, And so we dread it because we're going to sit there and it's going to take a long time. And so we don't want to do it. Um, And so we'll do everything we can to avoid that dreaded task. And often that means like doom scrolling on our phone, which is counterproductive to the thing that we might need when we're burned out, for example, which is rest for our brain and our body. And so sometimes the popular advice that you're going to hear is actually not helpful for the ADHD brain. What you are going to hear in the popular advice is never do anything in your bed that isn't resting or sleeping because you don't want to train your body that bed is not for sleeping. A really great trick for sleeping, for example, is actually to engage in a task that is just taxing enough that you forget you're dreading being there. I have fallen asleep every night for the last 15 years of my life with a Kindle, does not have internet access with a backlight. And I read something just engaging enough that I am going to kind of stay awake, but not engaging enough that it will keep me awake. Other people will do a podcast or an audiobook that is just above audible. So they have to strain to hear it, and that's going to make them tired. So you really want to think about what is the goal that I'm trying to achieve first? And how can I add novelty or urgency to that? Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And I'm sitting here smiling because so my ADHD 
diagnosis where it's coming up, I guess it's at six months right now. And it's just made me rethink so many of the things that I do, because as I would guess might be true for a lot of people, we build these coping mechanisms for ourselves, not realizing that's what we're doing. Like, that's why I'm an entrepreneur, because I needed that novelty and the the autonomy to give myself more novelty. But with the sleep stuff, I'm giggling because pretty much since I was a kid, that's how I fell asleep was I would listen to like these radio shows on tape and that would help me fall asleep. And then in college, I started listening to This American Life to help me fall asleep. And then now I alternate between listening to This American Life, exactly like you said, like it's not super loud. So I have to work to listen to it or I read a book until I literally cannot keep my eyes open anymore. So that's another, a new thing that I just learned where, oh, that's part of why I do that. That's why I'm structuring my evening that way. Yeah. Another coping mechanism. I read that and I laughed out loud because I was like, oh yeah, because otherwise I just sit there and I think, and I hate it. I remember why I started doing that. And so it's just so important to consider that. The other piece of advice that I would give is along with that, like really what's your goal is we will often as people with ADHD just want to create a sense of accomplishment, right? To get away from the thing that we dread. And so we might get sucked into checking emails or folding the laundry or the thing that's easy to get done when in fact to give us that little dopamine burst, when in fact, the thing that actually is going to lower our stress the most is going to bed, or maybe it is sending in our taxes. Who knows what it is? But very often, because we just want to steamroll, right? We, we, we're rigid thinkers. We like black and white. Once we get on a path, it can be hard for us to get off that path. And so that's why meditative practices and mindfulness practices can be so helpful if you have ADHD, is it can create the practice of just taking a moment to take a breath, because just that 30 seconds can disrupt the rigid thinking. And then you can get off the path you were on and make a different choice. Mm, Yes, I love that way of phrasing it. Mindfulness is a way to get us outside of the rigid thinking. I needed that. I feel like I could keep talking to you about all of these different, (laughs) all of these different things and be like, is this because of my ADHD? Is this because of neurodivergence? (laughs) But I, I don't want to subject people to like a two hour episode. So I think I'm going to start to wind things down. When this podcast started, I always offered up a reflection question. It comes out on Sundays. Folks sometimes listen to it as part of their self-care routine on Sundays. So if you could offer up a reflection question, and this could be specifically for folks who are neurodivergent, it could be for folks of all brain types, what's, what's a reflection question that you would offer? I would encourage folks to really look at the behaviors they engage in And ask themselves, what are the behaviors that they're engaging in to avoid being present with their body? What I find for my folks with ADHD in particular is very often it is avoidance that gets kind of in the way. And in particular, in our conversations, 
it's that way then leads to the shoulds and the shame and the negative self-talk. And so what I do, I take a strengths-based approach is very much flipping that on its head and to say, okay, well, what are the ways then we can, we can build on your strengths so that we make those things easier to do? But by focusing on where the avoidance is, that's usually where we can find it. That was such a powerful question. I hope everyone takes you up on reflecting on that question because all of us, regardless of what our brain looks like or how our brain functions, could stand to be in deeper relationship with our bodies. This conversation has been such a delight. I bet that there are folks who are here who are listening who are like, I want to hear more of what Jody has to say. So how can folks keep in touch with you? Uh, well, I'm on LinkedIn. I post pretty regularly about all sorts of topics, but especially neurodiversity and inclusion. And then my website is just jodyorg.com, J-O-D-I-E-Y-O-R-G.com. And that's an easy way to follow me. Well, Jody, thank you so, so much for this conversation. And thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks for having me, Taylor. This was a great way to spend a part of my afternoon. I really enjoyed it. Me too. I, I feel like this gave me energy. I was starting to go downhill and this boosted me. I'm going to ride this high to the, to the end of the workday. Me too. I have a task I'm dreading. I have to go to the bank and this is going to help me get there. I love it. I love it. We both needed this boost. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's the show today. You got to hear me have some aha moments in real time. I hope that you will follow Jody if you want to learn more. And if you haven't pre-ordered the Inner Workout book, I mentioned a couple of concepts like spoon theory that get mentioned in the Inner Workout book. Please take a moment to do that. It's just innerworkout.co. There's a link to pre-order right on the homepage. We're also linking to it in the show notes. Pre-orders are, I just cannot overstate, like they're a huge deal for authors, especially first-time authors like me. So if you enjoy the content that we put out on Inner Warm-Up and Self-Care Sundays, I hope that you'll pre-order and that you will tell a friend. We're going to continue with the burnout season next week. Until then... Thank you so much for your time. Thank you as always for your expertise and take care.